On this episode of Network AF, Nina Bargason joins us and she talks about her career, what's been really helpful for her in terms of mentoring, community, learning, some of her experiences being both a service provider and working for content providers, doing backbone engineering and interconnection, and her opinion on what's hot and where we can go with the community in and around networking. Hi, everybody, and welcome to Network AF. I'd like to welcome my friend and fellow networker, Nina Bargason. And uh, Nina, could you give a quick intro? Absolutely. Hi. Um, yeah, I'm I'm Nina. I've been working in uh, in this internet industry for like the past two decades or maybe a little bit more. Um, I'm in my 50s now, uh, raving midlife crisis. Um and have been changing jobs a couple of times over the past couple of years, um, but started out as a mathematician, going to the university, thought I would be doing research, uh, realized I wasn't smart enough, or at least not in that right way uh, to go that way. Um, and then uh, over after having kids, uh, ended up in the uh, internet industry by sheer luck. Uh, but but what a journey. Uh, cool. So I guess, how did you get into networking? How did you find from math, you know, into networking? It was actually, uh, again, as I say, it was a little bit of luck, or a big deal of luck. I, um, I had kids and stayed home for some years. And <laughs> then when I wanted to get back to, uh, to work in 99, I landed a job at uh, Tele Denmark, as it was called at that time. Um, in a sort of a intro uh, program for newly graduates. I was five years past my graduation, but mm-hmm. since I hadn't worked, I applied anyways and said, hey, um, I haven't used my education, so consider me a graduate, please, and, and take me into the program. And, and they did. And I think here is, a, is the first element of luck, um, deciding to do that in November, where I applied in July 99, uh, you know, had I waited another year, the, the uh, bubble, yeah, boom, <laughs> the bubble would have gone, and they would probably not have hired thirty people, uh, you know, into uh, into these uh, training positions that they did. But lucky for me, I just made it, um, and then uh, quickly moved. We were supposed to be different areas of the uh, of the company. I started out in telephony. Um, thinking about in a strategy position, thinking about uh, IN telephony. So the telephony services that you could punch on your pads and you would get a service, you know, call back or or, uh, forward, call forwarding, you know. So even the telcos were thinking about... Think, think services that added value, you know. Uh, uh, Value-added services, yeah. And they were run by, a, you know, a big computer and... and um, so I was I was ended up in a project uh, trying to figure out whether it would be a good idea to combine the platform that was used for the mobile uh, mobile network and for the fixed line network because of course that was run on two different computers um, because it was very separate uh, separate networks at that time uh, mm-hmm. probably still is so. 
I did. I wasn't there for very long, and then I moved on to the internet uh, division of uh, of the company, and I worked started working with uh, streaming products in 2000. So that would be. Oh, that's pretty early. Yeah, that's pretty early. Yeah, we, we were trying to build like a, a, a enterprise product so people could host uh, ad, um, uh, video advertising on, or just also just having hosting shared hosting of uh, of video files. And ended up being involved in uh, you know the first runs of the the Big Brother, um, uh, Big Brother. <laughs> Wow, that was back then. I, I guess I'm old too. I'm in my fifties. Yeah, I know it was. Uh, that was a uh, what a horrible concept, right? And it was uh, it was a big uh, it was a big thing, and it definitely uh, you know a lot of us learned a lot about live streaming, uh, a lot about capacity, in particular because we had that setup running, I think for the second time, around. In 2001, when September 11 happened. Oh wow! Yeah, so I remember when uh, when that happened, uh, and we were watching CNN on our our lap or our computers in the office. Um, I got a call from one TV stations going that we we had been running their uh, test or their first initial live streaming of right. new that they were doing. And he and he, my contact, he called me and he said, "We want, you know, we want live streaming right now because this shit is going on." And very quickly, we got everything directed around to um, to the Big Brother setup. So sort of like, sorry, Big Brother, we we kind of need these servers for something else. So we did we did uh, the one of the local TV stations live streaming, and mm-hmm. I remember getting a picture a couple of weeks later. Uh, you know, somebody in Australia had been watching the live feed from this Danish TV station on the internet in Australia. A Dane, a Dane right. uh, lived there. So it was one of the first, you know, big streaming events that I, I took part of. Yeah, we were fortunate. I was at Akamai at the time. <clears throat> um, and we were fortunate that we'd had some big events. Uh, Steve Jobs, Victoria's Secret. But, um, you know, ironically... Uh, Danny Lewin, who was uh, Akamai CTO and one of the co-founders, was really trying to move Akamai from just objects to whole site delivery. <clears throat> and he was the first person murdered by the terrorists on 9-11 on the first plane. Yeah. But all the people that were disagreeing with him about that needed to call Akamai and say, like, we need, no, we need to do the whole site right now. Our load balancers, our SSL... <clears throat> you know, the bandwidth, everything, our databases, everything is falling over. Um, yeah. So uh, it was a, it was a proof. Um, but uh, yeah, those were uh, crazy times. And obviously everyone at Akamai remembers uh, what was going on. Uh, yeah. What was going on then? So, um, so did you, uh, what was after the streaming group at, uh, at TDC? So um, after the streaming group, um, I had a small, a short uh, stay in the operations at, at, and then I moved on to the uh, Internet Backbone Planning Group. Mm-hmm. So what happened was that the IP was growing up, growing up. The IP group had been like one single group in the research and development uh, group. And at some point, at that point in, in, in the early 2000s, it was decided IP will now 
be important enough that it should be structured like the rest of the company with a separate engineering, a separate operations, and a separate planning group. Mm-hmm. So they split up that group and hired some more people in, and I, I ended up in the in the planning group. Was that internal, external, both? You know, it, it was in, internally in, but this was then in the fixed line company. Okay. At that time, we were set, the, the, it, the company TDC was Teledenmark was called TDC and split up into an internet company, a mobile company, and a fixed line company. <clears throat> was and the group more line, focused on on backbone interconnection or both? Was it like joint? So I started out just focusing on edge, like uh, BRAS planning. Hmm. But then after, uh, you know, I, I did a good job and uh, they were like, oh, Nina, you can, uh, you can, uh, you know, when people are doing a good job, instead of giving them money, we'll, you know, you can go to Nanoc, this, you know, North American thing. And I went to my first Nanoc in uh, Reston mm-hmm. and it must have been 2002 or three or something. I can't yeah. even remember. <coughs> um, and, um, and there I met the peering crowd. Because we had, there was uh, uh, one of the, it was a Terramark uh, peering forum, uh, so yep. in a separate hotel. And I remember I, I they, people, ah, just, Nina, come to this meeting. I met, you know, I met Ren Provo. I met some of uh, Patrick. I met some of the, the the people. And they was like, Nina, you should come to that. And I even, at my first, okay, I'll go. Uh, I went up the stairs and I said, oh, yeah, I have this AS number. We have a pop in New York here with us. <laughs> you know, I, I had no idea what I was doing. <laughs> um, so when I came home, I um, I went into my manager and I said, um, you know, I want to be the peering coordinator instead of the peering coordinator. Mm-hmm. And uh, again, luck was there because Ken, my, my manager, was, hey, Awesome, because Michael, who at that time was the peering coordinator, really, really wanted to go back to the engineering group. Okay. So he was one of the, the engineers, and he had been very focused. He, he's a very sharp engineer. and But he had also been very focused on the interconnections and on backbone design. Mm-hmm. So when they did the split, they put him in the capacity planning group, which he was not happy about at all. So he really, really wanted to go back. That was awesome, yeah. And then there was this problem, what, what are we going to do about the peering part? Because Michael is the best for that. And then, you know, I came back and I said, I want to be peering coordinator. I said, awesome, you know, you can do the peering coordinator. Were you, um, was at the time, were you what we would now call selective or restrictive peering in in Denmark, but but open peering in New York is was that the strategy at the yeah, time? That was that was very much um, the this the, the policy that was developed at that point was restrictive to to the point of always saying no locally uh, because uh, there was a wholesale business that you know they right. didn't want to sell transit so we can't really peer with all these small networks in Denmark because then they won't pay us money to um, you yeah. know. For the internet. I was at a peering thing for in Asia Pacific in uh, back when I was at Above Net. We had bought um, uh, we had bought I think it was we bought packs and um, and mm-hmm. uh, and one of the incumbents was saying I you know was saying oh it's so horrible we come all the way to the U S and AT and T won't peer with us they say you look like a customer and I said oh you know Gene. 
how many people, how many networks do you pair with in your country? They said, well, that's different. They're our customers. It's like, oh, okay. I say, <laughs> you're my customer, so I won't say anything about that. But it's funny because at Akamai, I had to teach people, you need to let people be, be wrong and make it make sense in their frame of reference, right? Yeah. Some of these big companies have their own frame of reference. So like if someone says, we do not, we do not, you know, uh, we do not pay for bandwidth. It's like, well, maybe we'll give you space instead with some bandwidth. You know, it's like, you know, you see that right. And by the way, Nina, so I, when I was trying to figure out this BGP stuff in 1995 or so, it was like a big, shh, don't talk about it. And um, I just sent mail to the May admins, May East admins. I'm like, how does this peering thing work? Do you just like, when you get a May East IP address, does peering happen? I didn't even know about multilateral peering and agreements and, and route servers and stuff like that. And um, it was very, it can be, you know, very, there's a lot more data now, but it can be very uh, frustrating. Uh, so it's, uh, um, thank you for helping grow the community and, and, and take new people. Uh, so, so when you were getting started, it sounded like they had, <clears throat> you got lucky that you came in during a time of big growth. Um, and it sounds like TDC had a formal program for bringing people in and, and mentoring them. You know, what was really helpful, um, you know, inside the company early in career, um, to getting access, getting exposure, you know, was it people processes and, you know, what maybe could have been better that you think about, you know, as you uh, hire people and, and, you know, bring them in now? Yeah, I think, I think one of the really great things uh, about the IP group at CDC, and, and that's actually, and that was very much in the sixth line, the backbone group, uh, I had I had actually met the exact opposite in the uh, in the internet group, uh-huh. which was very closed, uh, protective. Uh, you know, I don't want to share my knowledge because then I can keep my value up. Mm. Where in the backroom group, it was way more open. So when I showed up, you know, not really with any formal engineering skills, and go, oh, that BGP stuff. You know, can you? Um, how does that even work? You know, I want to be the peering coordinator instead of the peering coordinator. But, you know, I I kind of need to learn this uh, this BGP thing. There is something and I did, you know, I did take a a class um, um, like a Cisco Uh BGP uh, introduction class. Um, But, you know, learning it really learning it, really understanding it. It was a lot of uh, uh, the dynamics. The dynamics of BGP are interesting, right? Exactly. And what happens and how do you how do you do traffic engineering? How can you move your traffic around, inbound, outbound, and right. all of that? Um, it took me a little while to grok, but um, here I met some amazing engineers, and, and Michael, the former peering coordinator, is actually is one of them who you know never was too busy to teach. Mm-hmm. And to sort of go and okay, here's your here's your access. Now you have a login on the routers. You know, here's the test net. You know, maybe you mm-hmm. go do things in the test net before you try them out in production and let us know. Um, so they were very open uh, at that time for people who were interested in learning to learn and grow. 
uh, also out of their more formal uh, responsibilities, uh, just because hey, somebody somebody likes to do this shit. Let this let us teach them. Of course, there were more more serious router bugs back in the late '90s and then the early noughties. Uh Was there more uh, freedom and permission to fail? you know, experiment? Or was there already rigorous, like, we have a test net, we test deployments, we test code, you know, as a telco, you know, did they have sort of that mentality that you could experiment, but, uh, you know, test test rigorously, uh, you know, before deploying? So they were, I wasn't really involved in that much in, in testing code, um, but they usually did that in the test net. But, you know, we also had this internal joke, there was a small test net and the big test net. Uh-huh. And that, you know, the right. things would you you know you wouldn't really figure find all the bugs before you had it out in the big test net. Well, it's hard to test traffic engineering, you know, <laughs> on a prefix that's on a peer. Uh, you know, it sounds like a Dr. Of, Seuss, a packet on a pocket on a prefix on a peer. Uh, exactly. You know, exactly. And I think I think back then there was a there was a higher tolerance. Uh, you know, it it took a while. Uh, and probably also a number of big breakdowns, uh, mm-hmm. you know, before a change management process was introduced, before, mm-hmm. um, you know, service windows. Um, uh, for a long time, I was working with people where it's like, well, we should do the changes while we are at work instead of doing mm-hmm. them when we have to wake somebody off to right. get shit fixed, you know? Uh, but that that definitely was something that changed over time. And in particular, when more and more of the, I mean, when I started out the early norms, it, it wasn't really very important services running on the internet. Once TV started running on the internet, once telephony started running on the same, on the same backbone, um, once, um, you know, we, we had customers like, CSC, I think we're called at the time, that was, you know, running big enterprises, IT systems. I remember I did a, I did some network changes that was supposed to be non, non, uh, mm-hmm. I shouldn't be bothering anybody, but I kept all SAS's planes on the ground for an hour. <laughs> Oops. Yeah, it's, it's a great debate. Um, in my ISP days, they used to have a bat light that would go off when I enabled. Um, yeah. And, yeah. you know, my point at the time was, well, uh, if I'm making the change, then we might as well, you know, do it. Yeah, as you said, do it while I'm awake. But um, and there was a point where I stopped pulling the plug on UPSs with the same theory when I happened to be at a random pop uh, and customers gave feedback that that was not the way they wanted to work. Uh, and then I enjoyed being at Akamai where, you know, if there was a problem, it was a software problem, not a networking problem. So that was awesome. The networking was food, <laughs> but, uh, you know, not the problem. So so yeah. you, you talked about uh, the peering community and your entree to that. And what, what was it that, um, you know, because interconnection and peering, it's certainly technical, right? You have to think about traffic and peering. And it's also people. What are their motivations and business and analytics? to make a case, <clears throat> but, you know, when you actually get to implement things, it's like, whoosh, you know, the cannons move and the traffic moves. There's, there's positives and, and, and negatives. What was the 
you know, what was the compare and contrast and what was it that really made you more interested on the interconnection and, and people side? So it was, it was, it was a combination, I think. I mean, uh, it was the community. I kind of fall, I fell in love with the community. You know, it, it definitely has it, it's uh, weirdness. Uh, I like quirky, weird people. I liked the, you know, the idea, you know, I got introduced to the, you know, IRC channels where people were hanging and uh, that whole community and that whole bubbly communication and helping each other. Um, I, I really fell in love with that. And then also just uh, the, um, you know, handling the traffic, man, deciding uh, we're going to have that traffic in there and, and, and that traffic over there. I mean, I thought that was, uh, that was amazing. And, mm-hmm. uh, you know, in combination with being in a planning group, you know, sort of how, how can we build the network uh, most efficiently? Mm-hmm. Also meaning how can we get the traffic into the network most efficiently and cheapest? You know, do we want to buy everything in Copenhagen? Or right. at that time, we 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 were running on a network that somebody else had built out, uh, so into Europe, and and the, we had those connections into the U.S. And we managed to be able to, uh, you know, build the case um, every time we needed an upgrade. Would it is it a better case to to spend the money on the upgrade, rent some more capacity, stay in the pubs? Or handle everything and just buy some transit in Copenhagen. Mm -hmm. And every time, uh, you know, the case actually came out, it's a better deal to to keep the network up. And we would have to pay for that. So we might as well build our own network. So there was people engineering internally and externally. Externally, yes. There were, you know, business cases to be made internally. Uh, and then the negotiations externally, uh, you know, and uh, and then just the whole, the whole, how do we get the traffic in? Mm-hmm. Like another big event, uh, uh, streaming event was when uh, when that guy jumped jumped into space. Uh, parachuted, parachuted from space. Yeah, the it was. Um, it was like uh, what was this? Seven, I think. Um, okay. And it was um, uh, it was Red Bull that sponsored this guy who flew up in a in a balloon almost up to the edge of uh, of the atmosphere, and then huh? he jumped out, and it was live streamed. And I remember, it, and this was in two thousand eleven. I remember it was the year before Netflix um, Netflix launched, um, because I remember the the the. It was so much extra traffic and it was coming in on all our, you know, we had right. Google caches, we had Akamai caches, it came everywhere, it came in on every transit connection we have, on every peering connection we have, like every everywhere there was a, 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 a source. And uh, I remember me and I remember my colleague in, uh, in Finland, he was like frantic because... Right. Um, he saw that all the traffic to Finland was coming out of New York. And he was like, you got to do something. I mean, this is not fair. And, you know, I, I pinged my friends at YouTube and sort of like, why, why is it coming from New York? And he's like, there's nothing we can do. No more servers in, uh, hey. you know, near Finland with any capacity. So it's either that or they're not getting it. Um, so I thought that was, uh, that was another, uh, you know, 
big event. And then the year after Netflix launched and that amount of traffic that we were sort of like, oh my God, we have so much extra traffic. It's just, that was just another day when Netflix, uh, you know, had opened up. I guess we shouldn't speak ill of the former networks, but I was at Akamai and I forget whether it was Steve Jobs or Victoria's Secret, but I had a call with At Home because it was the same thing. It was like, we, we filled every port of At Home up, up, up their back in the front, <laughs> in the side, <laughs> everything. And we said like, don't you want to have more capacity? Take some servers. Like, no, no, no. This is our strategy is to congest. So people need to pay to have servers inside. And I was like, well, we're not going to cooperate with that strategy. So, so no. they're on my list. Uh, uh, Aegis was a network that, uh, well, they were a spam haven. So we said a global internet spam haven. But <coughs> they were one of the first networks that at Nanog, I think it was in Ann Arbor one, got up and described their peering policy, which they themselves did not qualify for, <laughs> which was a, a funny thing. Uh, so uh, yeah. hopefully the good, the good enlightened networks will, will, will survive. Um, you know, and I would say the internet's gotten, and content and everything has gotten a lot better. So, you know, that's pretty, uh, that's pretty cool. So um, speaking of content, uh, so you have worked for service provider. And then as you sort of, you know, Netflix started back then, but you went to work for them. Um, uh-huh. What was it like, you know, interesting, more interesting, less interesting, different? And, you know, sort of sort of role-wise, you know, the differences of, of doing interconnection for, uh, you know, at Akamai, I called it the world's largest non-network, right? Because there's no backbone and stuff like that. So it was actually Rob Seastrom who, who, no, no, it was Andrew Koo who called it that. Uh, it was Andrew Koo who called it that. But, yeah, yeah. so what, 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 what was it like? What was the difference? Um, you know, on the content versus access and and transit side. Well, the the uh, the big difference was was definitely uh, you know now we would peer with everyone except very very few people who oh. you know whose behavior meant that that it would ah. mess up our traffic uh, more than it would uh, it would help uh, to peer. Um, and uh, because. Working for a service provider and, and doing peering, there's this whole balance about could we sell to these people or we have a, a division who wants to sell transit. So we couldn't have a completely open peering policy because, uh, you know, or maybe we could. The, 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 the idea was that we couldn't. So we have to protect a wholesale, uh, a wholesale business. Um, and there was a lot of, uh, we could do, you know, trade-offs, like, you know, I buy some waves, I get some hearing, right. you know, trying to do the whole, that whole uh, deal. TVC is probably a little bit too small, you know, to really do anything interesting in that field, but we were still trying to do it. People bought time. people bought data centers and data center cleaning services from AT&T to get peering. Yeah, so. Yeah. And, and also, you know, we have business customers. We have a few very important business customers. So we could not do too many, uh, you know, little tricks with traffic or, you know, hairpin it too much uh, because mm-hmm. then we would have customers who would be upset. Um, and and there was, a, you know, there was some customers that we really cared about. And then there was, uh, well, it's just internet. If it's a little bit delayed, it doesn't really matter. And mm-hmm. we could play with uh, with that kind of, um, 
with that kind of traffic to get the, the peerings that we wanted. Uh, it worked sometimes and sometimes it didn't. So. <laughs> yep. No, that's a grand question is who cares about their customers more, you know, in that. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And, and with, um, you know, going for content, you know, obviously we cared a lot about getting close, but then again, on the other hand, video is not really latency uh, sensitive. So, you know, that traffic could be hauled around a little bit if that was better for us. Um, and, um, but in general, we were open and we were on, you know, the, on the other side. It's like, hey, eyeball, we, we really want to connect. <clears throat> but very quickly, um, also in Europe, you know, Netflix became important enough that the eyeball companies was also the ones with, uh, hey, Netflix, can we somehow connect? And with the embed program that, you know, I, I started out just doing interconnection, but quickly ended up doing uh, embed program as well. Um, there was a lot of um, handling small, trying to explain why we couldn't really send them a server because their 10 megs or the 20 right. megs of the Netflix traffic would then be, you know, uh, replaced by 400 megs of, um, of fill traffic. So yeah. <laughs> not really a great idea. Um, so it changed, the role changed very much that way. Um, and also not having a backbone was really weird in the beginning. <laughs> it's like, they have a backbone now. The right, one backbone. of the world's largest non-network, right? Akamai has a backbone now too, yeah. Yeah. So, um, <clears throat> but, you know, for many years we were, not a lot. We did not build a network, uh, a backbone, and uh, when we did, it wasn't called. It was a fill network and not a backbone. Um, I think like they the call rare it. in R Yeah, it was to R everything. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's uh, actually Netflix doesn't do that. It's it's uh, servers are uh, working as clients. So and they just get a. You know, you need to have these movies on, and then they request the movies. Okay, so it's not push; it's pull. Yeah, I know Netflix caused problems for Akamai when I was, and maybe it was after I left, uh, because Netflix does a better does you know sort of can do overnight sync, whereas yes. Akamai has to be live. You know, a lot of the main CDNs need to be live because, as you said, one of the really brilliant things I, I thought about Netflix, which I don't know whether it was like brilliance by design or sort of accidental, was by having the intelligence in the client and having yeah. adaptive bitrate encoding, you were already going to be hunting and saying, can I get 10 megabit, one me four megabit, one megabit, you know, whatever. Yeah. And then you could go from local to worst peering, you know, cheapest to most expensive transit before failing down to the next and do that all desynchronized. So it was so much easier than being a centralized CDN. And then, yeah, the push or, or, or please go get this con popular content so much easier than caching. <laughs> Not that, I mean, I, I know the, uh, the, the optimization of like servers doing 100 gig plus, you know, was huge, but um, some, of the, some of the life was easier. and made life difficult for CDNs. So like, can't you be like Netflix? Can't you be like Netflix? I know. You know they 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 will love hearing this. I'm I'm sure, but um, but again, uh, I think it's it's by design. 
having the intelligence in the client, having yeah. a client, having a client is is uh, is key to a lot of things that Netflix has been successful with. Because when you have the client, you have the end-to-end control and you have the end-to-end data. And well, where we are right now, we know, you know, data is key. Mm-hmm. So um, it's, uh, it's they've done, they've done, good. they've done well. It was a great journey. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, no, I've been impressed. Actually, I saw Netflix first. I met, I forget where I was, but I met Vish when he was there. When, when they had built out a whole set-top box plan and like data centers. Uh, and then, again, it was an interesting look before the whole culture you know, thing came out and Netflix talked about how they want to be because you know, it was like Reed woke up and said, that's not what we're doing. And just like, nope, that's not the right way. We're going to do streaming. And I guess it was right. Um, you know, yeah. So, and I, and the content stuff too. So definitely some interesting, you know, business lessons there. But um, yeah, when I was at Occam, I was interesting because uh, like not every network person um, is, comes from a background of being adept at making those sort of business arguments. And it's sort of like as an inverse sales, where you're trying to get people to take things. And then, as you said, maybe yeah. let people down gently. Although I was, yeah. I wasted, I definitely wasted Akamai money. Uh, well, not only trying to build satellite network, because we didn't know how big and how edgy it was going to be. We were off by about 15 years, maybe 25 years about the true edge, because we're not at the true edge yet. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, and yeah, we, we actually set 10 megabits because I was like, it's all going to grow. It's all going to grow because it's <laughs> 2000 and everything was going like that. So we were like, sure, 10 megabits. Sure, we'll send you $20,000 of servers and switches. So, uh, uh, you know, they didn't fire me for it, but, you know, who knew? But, you know, um, there was a point at which I was signing. Like it took at least half a day a week to sign all the, to sign all the, all the orders for everything. And, oh, my God, taxes. Uh, did oh, they have yeah. all that figured out at Netflix by the time you joined? You know, all the ta- in-country taxes and stuff like that. It was, uh, it was. Uh, so luckily, I was, I was in Mia, right? So okay, yeah, Latam is pretty bad tax-wise. Yeah, I mean, Europe was good. Um, Europe was good. The EU was easy to ship to, uh, but you know, once you started shipping into Africa and taxes and and all of that, but but. They worked it out. They, you know, learning from being active in Brazil pretty early, things had to be very, very bad to beat Brazil when it came to taxes yeah. and shipping and stuff. So it was all like, ah, as long as it's not Brazil, we'll figure it out. We had, yeah, we also, there was some mandates, I think, that you needed to buy servers that were built or assembled. And then Dell had a plant there and, uh, you know, in Kentucky, we actually have a lot of Brazilian ISPs. There's someone's making routers and making them available there because there's a lot of interconnection down there. I would love to go yeah, back. Yeah, no, and- you can import into Brazil now. I mean, we uh, we managed to import. Uh, but we had to have a Brazilian entity who did the import. Um, most of the time, uh, Netflix donates the server to the partner. Right. Um, which is... Um, in all of the countries where that makes sense and is is allowed tax wise and stuff, mm-hmm. that's the, that's the best model to use. 
They thought I was kidding when I was talking about laptop regions at the time, but this was before SSDs. So we didn't really have the IOPS to like go down with suitcases and we weren't going to do anything. We were a public company already. So we weren't going to do anything that was like not regulatorily, you know, okay. But um, yeah, yeah, I mean, I remember uh, we had people installing, you mentioned it, IRC servers on or Usenet on some of our Akamai servers you know, before we had some of the auditing, uh, you know, when we started doing SSL. Um, and then, you know, quickly, I think, you know, within a few months of when I was at Akamai, we, we had it locked down. So if someone did root it and did something, it would, you know, disconnect from the network and we'd contact them. And we even had a couple cases of people stealing the servers and posting them on eBay thinking that Akamai made servers. So they'd show the picture with the serial number of a stolen server on eBay, which was which was always uh, always interesting. So oh, that's that's brilliant. So did you? I don't think um, I don't think at my time in Netflix, I don't think we saw any Netflix servers on eBay or anything mm-hmm. that was stolen, and we we lost very few. I think we lost some, but not not anything that we were thinking yeah. about. It's a yeah. funny story. It's a, we we did have some someone call us from a data center once and say, "Oh my God, somebody messed with your servers. We're so sorry. We don't know how it happened." And that was because uh, we um, at that time we we would we would paint uh, movie uh, quotes on the servers. Mm-hmm. And this was a and, and this was then a, a cluster that was built one of our own clusters in a data center. Uh-huh. Um, I don't know. It was, and 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 for some reason, uh, the the person who were doing the coats, you know, were in a funny mood and were doing all kind of like sexy, a little bit uh, naughty coats. <laughs> so so we had these two racks of servers with naughty coats uh, written in silver on it. And then mm-hmm. when the data center technician saw that, it was sort of <clears> like, oh my god. Somebody wrote naughty stuff on Netflix servers. What are we going to oh, do? Oh, they thought. Called us and said, we're so sorry. <laughs> we don't know how it happened. And we're like, no, no, no. We did that. At, at AboveNet, we had uh, Cisco, um, not ASRs, what were they called? Um, backbone routers. And you could make the line cards, had like, you could program what they said. So we actually, for a while, we programmed them to flash our AS. But um, I remember the acronym, speaking of naughty, people called them BFRs at the time. That was like the code name for it. But I forget what the product name was, not CSR. Anyway, so for a while, then someone ha- asked permission and, and flashed, you know, ABOV, above net, you know, our stock ticker and the stock price, which worked okay until the bubble. <laughs> and then they took that off, uh, you know, but that was like the, the confluence of, and of course, now we're in a bubble again. So. Um, so yeah, it's in- interesting. Differently different, uh, same ideas. Whether you're uh, engineering the packets to work internally or doing the negotiations and 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 setting policy and planning. Whether you're sort of access, hosting, transit, uh, or content, um, uh, you know, making things go. And to the average person, it's all the magic. You know, the magic of the internet uh, behind the scenes. Um, personally, I. Am generally fascinated by all of it, and definitely like the people side can be a little bit of a challenge. And again, how do you how do you help someone see that what you need is really what they need too? But 
their terminology and way of thinking about it is 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 not yeah. there. And and some technologists get very pedantic, like geek binaryitis, like, no, 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 but they're wrong. They must be shown that they're wrong. And it's like, no, no, that's not that's not generally the way to to influence uh, you know, influence people. So yeah. um cool. Well, thank you for sharing. So you've been, as you said, following networking for some time. What's uh, you know, what's changing? What's 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 hype and what's hot? Like what what's what's the things that people are talking about that aren't here yet? And what's the things that you're excited about, you know, networking overall, you know, right now? I think it's the uh, you know, the new edge. Um like uh, things being pushed closer and closer. I mean, for years we've been saying oh, it's all slideware, you know, 5G is probably just going to be another 4G, but mm-hmm. it, it looks like people are actually more serious about um, putting compute uh, closer to the edge. I think a lot of people think that a lot of the content will come to the edge as well. Uh, but, you know, uh, if you at least... I doubt that video on demand is going to be on the edge. Live is probably, I can see live would would use the the edge data centers and servers mm-hmm. sitting on the edge. But but on demand is, uh, you know, it's not enough files. It's not enough storage space. I mean, you have to, for, you know, for, for the video on demand server to be efficient, you have to have a high demand. So there's no use putting that next to the mast because that mass is never going to serve enough users for that server to be to be efficient. And yeah, and, and and there's been a wave of problems with power density of putting you know processors in in routers and you know yeah. I mean, there's uh, there's so much. So I think the 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 non latency <clears throat> sensitive services like on demand video and and a lot of other like pictures and and everything is going to stay relatively central, not not totally central because right. it is decentralized, but it really takes a lot of uses to be efficient. And I think a lot of the real-time uh, edge compute kind of stuff, you need to be even closer, um, you know, than where the video files are. Mm-hmm. So, so I'm You're optimistic to, for the edge and, and all the actors. I'm optimistic. I'm, 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 I'm cautiously optimistic because, uh, you know, I've seen some happen. But, you know, also seeing, you know, some of the uh, edge hosting companies, you know, ending up. Yeah, we want to do edge hosting and yeah, we want to do something else. Yeah, we don't want to do anything at all. Right. You know, Um, so, you know, it still remains a little bit to be seen. But uh, now that the actual networks are coming up and the slicing is is starting to happen, you know, maybe uh, maybe there will be some changes um, in that respect. Uh, because you know, in the in the past eight years, where I've been mostly focused on broadband uh, internet, cloud has really changed the internet a lot. So right. I'm actually on a little bit of a, a learning journey right now to to fully understand um, you know how the enterprises are running their stuff and how the how the uh, software as a service is running their stuff in the cloud. Uh, because that happened while I was looking on the other way. I was more, more focused on, oh, all these broadband providers. Here's some video traffic. What are we going to do about that? Also, interconnection, right? You can now, for the enterprise, you can interconnect through your SD-WAN. Yes. Like, you can do it old school. You can get an Equinix cabinet and run a cross-connect and do peering and do an IX. Or you, you can, can use Packet Fabric, Megaport, you know, PCCW, 
<laughs> you could, I don't know, soon there'll be ESP or something. I mean, there's lots exactly. of different ways of. So this, many this, different ways, yeah. It's like Star Trek, IDIC, infinite diversity and infinite combinations. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> of ways and then again, I, I can't really figure out, is it is it is there really some magic or is it just, you know, private networking and some software, you know? And I think probably the last, but it's presented as a lot of magic. Yeah. So I'm, I'm still trying to I'm a big it. fan of the innovation and companies in the interconnection space. So again, Packet Fabric, Megaport, BCW. But I do have to laugh when people talk about a wave of companies as network as a service. Like, so what was TD? What was TDC? What was like above net? What was like we weren't doing packets as a service before, but yeah. um, but you know you got to have marketing and, and and ways easy ways of people to remember things. Security has sassy. <clears throat> we have network as and, and NAS network as a service. So. Um, and yeah, the edge, it's its um, definitely a lot of innovation there. I'm really curious to see also because the dirty little secret is that the edge is some pretty big megawatt data centers where, where people are actually served from. Whether it's cloud, <coughs> I like going up to... That's where it is right now. But, but you know, does it have to be more distributed? Yeah. I mean... no. Yeah, I how mean, much does the milliseconds actually count? Uh, and for know? what? And for what? And what? Ready Player and One. When we're Ready Player One, milliseconds will probably matter. We're not quite there yet, but yeah. Yeah, yeah, and 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 then you know with the you know, I don't know. I mean, I'm still waiting for the auto. You know, the self-driving cars, right? That runs <clears> on on some network kind of thing and make sure that they're not running into each other. Or I don't know how they. I like. I like networks. I'm like, I'm not sure yeah. I'm comfortable with that. You know, but I'm not sure I would be in a car which might go off a cliff if if it lost connectivity to Google. But uh, there's certainly a lot of telemetry. There's certainly a lot of real and I, IoT, you know, with like doing um, model development and things at the edge and using power that you're using anyway. <clears throat> so yeah, it'll it'll definitely be definitely be interesting to see how that develops. Maybe we'll do this again in a, in a few years and see what the world is like. You talked about getting into the people side, uh, both inside TDC um, and when you're at your first NANOG and then probably RIPE and Apricot and Global Peering Forum and European Peering Forum. And it sounds like you had pretty welcoming and you know pretty good uh, intro. Um, I'm curious, um, as you know, over the course of your career, did you find that to be, you know, generally, generally true? Did you find that, uh, you know, all the communities were, uh, you know, pretty welcome, pretty educational, um, or are there areas that you, you know, hit frustrations in that you have constructive criticism for us as a community about ways we can do better? I think um, I think the peering crowd was a pretty welcoming crowd. Um, it and 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 I think it, it comes with it kind of comes with the job. I I mean you 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 have to be able to to talk to everyone and and if you meet somebody who's interested and 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 a potential uh, you know it it seems like to be welcoming. Um, I think the engineering crowd that's, you know, the non-peering people at Nanog was probably not as welcoming um, and, and more difficult to, to get to talk to. 
And there definitely have been some, you know, I remember a dinner where I, you know, I went home and I was kind of crushed because I was sitting next to, to uh, a person, um, you know, and, and he was very interested in, in one of the hot shops who was sitting next to him on the other side. Um, and so I was just sitting there, I was at the end of the table and I was just sitting there and just had this bag turned me during the whole dinner. So like a 10, ta- 10 people table, oh. you know, and, and I was just like, whoa, oh, I did not like that. Um, that was, uh, so um, I think it can be a pretty tough crowd sometimes, you know, if you don't know somebody. And I usually, I went to these, uh, all these events by myself. Mm-hmm. Um, but, uh, you know, over the years, you, you, you find the people that you get along with, you, you, you meet friends. And, and again, also the, I learned so many things just chatting with people who were awake at the same time. And I would be, you know, up late at night and uh, talking to people that would teach me stuff. That's right. Your, uh, your, you know, morning would be the uh, normal engineering hours of people still up. uh, Exactly. (laughs) You know, I could get up in the morning and I could talk to somebody, you know, you know, a, a drunk grass that, you know, and persuade him to explain this MPLS to me because I was in a big debate with uh, one of my engineers in the uh, in the engineering group about something and sort of like needed. Mm-hmm. I don't think it's like this. What do you, Raz? Can you explain this to me? And then you know, I would have a little bit more ammo in uh, in the discussions because mm-hmm. I learned it from. I didn't learn everything from the TDC engineers. I learned from outside as well. Uh-huh. Uh huh. So that was a, a you know made it even better to get more inputs into um, when you're basically, because all of, I learned everything just by, um, mm-hmm. by mentoring yeah. and working it out myself. Yeah. So, uh, the um, IRC has never fit well for my brain, <clears throat> um, uh, but I've talked to a lot of people that I know a lot of people that are, you know, tight with that, uh, tight with that community. And it seems like it's, it's gone, you know, really well there. The, um, and I'm so, so it has not moved to Slack. It's still IRC on the, the core. There, there might be some Slack that might be, <laughs> you know, some people might have moved to Slack and I didn't okay. notice. Mm-hmm. Uh, that could also, I've been looking most of the time over the past years, you know, uh, but but when I started a new job last year, you know, I needed to get some old contacts and I uh-huh. couldn't remember the email addresses and sort of like, well, in uh, Pound IX yeah. and yeah, right. these old guys were still hanging there sort of like, ah, can we talk about this? Do you have, you know, do you have IRC on your phone? Do you have a phone IRC client or is it really laptop? Desktop? No, it's on, it's on the laptop. Okay. So. so not, not all the way, <clears throat> I guess Discord would, would give advantages there. So yeah. Yeah. would you say it's more than 50%, more than 75%? of what you've learned has been sort of uh, mentoring, osmosis, uh, you know, independent experimentation? Like, how would you, how would you rate, you know, the sort of the, the tribal, the tribal explanations, uh, you know, versus the sort of formal? And is that something we could do better at formalizing, um, especially with, you know, in a COVID world or post-COVID? Well, from my perspective, from my personal experience, um, it's it's like 80, 90% tribal. Mm-hmm. Um, and and self-study. 
and you know working out but 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 a lot of it a lot of the working it out is also then you know hitting up somebody and saying I thought about this you know blah 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 and then you have so it 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 will it it's it's definitely tribal and because I have that experience I think it's difficult for me to point out whether we could formalize that and make it make it more available for everybody mm-hmm. we kind of should um and I know there's, you know, there are some programs that that are teaching networking uh, at universities, um, and but you often end up. I, I know I, I actually had a nephew who wanted to uh, become a network engineer, and he started in uh, he started this uh, this class, and it was a joint program with app development. Hmm. And within the first six months of this uh, 18 months program, everything was turned into app because they they had counted on Cisco sponsoring and making them CCNAs or or maybe the next level. Right. Uh, and apparently that kind of fell through. And then the teachers were like, oh, well, we don't know anything about networking, but we can do, you know, <coughs> making apps is more fun. So... So my nephew kind of, you know, ended up, you know, dropping out because um, he was like, but I kind of like this network thing and uh, wasn't um, encouraged to go find a uh, apprentice place or anything because, you know, he didn't get the support from the school. So I thought that was that was kind of sad. I was a local right. thing here in Denmark, right. but um, I don't know that there is a network engineer education here. Um, anymore. Um, yeah, and a lot of, in the U.S. at least, a lot of network education is still distance vector, um, protocol, you know, like, prefix, NLRI, uh, what offsets things are, you know, it's the TCP books and, you know, pulling packets apart and not the dynamics. And then, yeah. or it's a economics group that, is trying to understand how does the internet work and how do people connect with each other yeah, or, po- yeah. you know, which is those people are more likely to go into policy than, you know, engineering. Um, so yeah. there's, yeah, it's an interesting, it's an interesting question. You mentioned your nephew. What would you advise people, you know, who, who think that the internet and the infrastructure is interesting, uh, you know, to get into, to get into that world? You know, get the job. Uh-huh. You know, maybe not care so much about getting a formal education first that because it can be difficult to find a formal education that actually fits, mm-hmm. but make sure that you, you know, you know, basic, have basic engineering skills that you know how to work shit out. And, and then, you know, go into a job with the uh, expectations of that you have to keep learning all the time because things are changing all the time. Um I mean, there's some, this is, and, and to me, that's a general thing, you know, when people, you know, when I'm, I talk to young people about uh, what should I go uh, study? Should I go to the university? Yes, and I don't know. You should go, yeah, you should go study. You should go figure out how you learn stuff. Uh, and you should definitely do it with, you know, learn something that you care about. Um because the the most important skill is to figure out how you figure stuff out, right? 
Oh. Yeah, I, I think of it as the getting comfortable with getting confused and unconfusing yeah. yourself. Exactly. Yeah, ask for help. They're a good ask way of for help. It. Ask for help. Be on IRC, have a community. But um, yeah, it's something I think we need to get earlier in at least college education um, about, you know, the find your passion part of it and that it's interactive, right? It's not going to be sitting there and getting the received wisdom of the things. <clears throat> um, no, no, it's exactly. It's actually working with it and figuring out, oh, I don't know this. I have to figure out how to do this in order to do this longer, far away <laughs> thing that I have to do and then go figure out how to do it. Which is why it's cool. There's network simulators. There's virtual appliances. You can get a virtual MX, a virtual ASR, a virtual Arista. Um, uh, And uh, yeah, it's something we want to do is, uh, I want to do is try to see what we can do to to work with academia, education. I saw something at Nanog a few years ago, which was actually like, which I thought was pretty cool, which was a peering simulator. Not like the doctor peering game, but actual... People got to have some prefixes and peer with each other. It was, it was in oh, your, it was from European region. I forget which, <clears throat> you know, like that might be interesting, you know, to do with oh, people. Cool. Yeah. Have to have to go yeah. find that link and, and look at it. Um, so, any any asks or advice for the community about trying to be welcoming to people that, you know, do not look like. Um, all the people in the community now, um, uh, you know, the backbone engineering is more people that look like me. The interconnection seems to be a little bit more diverse, but not matching the population, certainly. Like, yeah. what could people stop doing uh, and start doing? I think the general, well, uh, <laughs> having worked for uh, American companies who took diversity and inclusion, very, very, very important. Uh, you know, I, I've been trained quite a bit, but I think, you know, realizing that the person standing next to you have a very different background, but might know as much as you do, mm-hmm. um, is, um, I think that, that understanding is, is, is crucial and it's very difficult to have. I mean, I still, I still do it myself, you know, when I, when I meet another female, you know, and in particular, <clears throat> if she's wearing a dress, uh, and high heels, I am not assuming that we could go and have a conversation about traffic engineering. And, and I hate myself for that, you know? Right. Uh, so unconscious bias is hard the to con- The unconscious bias is, you know, it's a thing to think about. And, um, and I think the, the young people, at least the young people that I know, uh, you know, are much more critical than I was at that age. My eldest child is, um, is a queer and, um, and just had a top operation done uh, this year. Mm-hmm. And I remember talking to them about, but, you know, how, how, how would you feel? How, how do you think you will feel when, uh, you know, you go to the beach and, and everybody will see that you, you know, your body is now matching your perception of how you want your body to watch, to look. Mm-hmm but it's very different from what everybody else is expecting it to look like because, you know, it'll be male on top and female on the bottom. Mm-hmm. And um, um, people will look more at you 
than they do now where you yourself is in conflict with uh, how you look. And, and they and said that's, that's exactly their problem? The reply I got from yeah. them was, well, exactly. I have been fighting this fight for the, you know, the past 10 years. Now it's your problem. I don't care because now I feel, now I look like I feel. And, and awesome. it, they're, they're very different <clears throat> that way. Um, so I think in order to, to, to include them, we have to make sure that we don't really care about, you know, color or, 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 you know, gender perception or hair color or what mm-hmm. shoes they're wearing or anything. Uh, we just have to get past the looks and then just, and past the, uh, also how you talk. Um, and then, you know, just get to the substance, but it's a basic human thing. Mm-hmm. But I think it's, it's, it is important also to be mindful about with all the, all of us, because we haven't been it for so long. It's been, it's been a, a bit of a rough community sometimes, right? Um, yeah, it has. And um, with a lot sometimes of people, and a, yeah, drinking, there's been, yeah. uh, I can't take cigarette smoke uh, and, you know, there's lap dances. There's women that ask people to go to, go to uh, you know, a place, yeah, I don't know, know, maybe not anymore, up. but, yeah. you know, and so you just have to be, uh, you do have to be aware. I think what works best is when people show that they're trying to learn and understand, then there's yeah. more grace. And when there's yeah, less, we can't be, nothing is going to be, everybody's not going to be changed and everybody will make mistakes. Right. But being open about that, we're mm-hmm. actually trying to learn and being respectful <clears throat> and, you know, that we can say sorry when we're not respectful and somebody mm-hmm. tells us that we're not respectful. Well, thank you, by the way, for four or five times saying, what about the Europeans? I can't take. <laughs> <laughs> I think we do an okay job of it, but you know, I think there's been a couple of times where there's been the, uh, you, you've been comfortable speaking up that, you know, hey, what about, you know, and you know, time zones or people or, you know, things like that. So, well, I have to say, I mean, I want to say thank you on the other round because this is uh, the first time I, I, where, where I see regular meetings being started at 7 a.m. Uh, California time. Mm-hmm. I mean, that has not happened before. Oh, I interesting. So it's been more like, sorry, you're having yeah. dinner, but we need to meet now. Exactly. Or sorry, you're just going to miss this meeting. Um, mm-hmm. um, and, you know, you know, you can, it was never really offered that people could get up early um, instead of everybody just staying up late or other people from other time zones would get up really early to... Uh, well, even there, we could do better. I know we yeah. had our last all hands a little late. Well, we're working on it. We're talking about it. <laughs> Yeah, it just didn't show up. I watched the video. That's yeah. fine. As yeah. long as you that, that's the great thing about uh, you know that we're running everything on video is that you know there's a recording, mm-hmm. and obviously you can't have the interaction. But you you know I could call you up afterwards and say, oh, well you said this. Uh, what do you mean? Uh-huh. Yeah. And I could I wouldn't be able to call you out publicly about not being uh, nice to the Europeans, but you know I can do that other times. So mm-hmm. <laughs> um, no. Uh... Well, you know, I think you've been comfortable in more than one person uh, settings doing it. So I appreciate that. But, you know, you also have, uh, 
you know, a career in community and, and, you know, all that. So you're in a position where you know that, um, but we appreciate it. So thank you. Um, any advice for your younger self? Uh, you know, any things that you would <clears throat> have said um, uh, to have had maybe either guide different experiences, you know, as you were going through the career? Probably change jobs a little bit earlier than I did. Mm-hmm. I was at uh, I was at TDC for 13 years, and the past couple of years I was there. I was um, I wasn't happy. I'd grown out of the role, mm-hmm. and um, as a, a thing, yes, for young people to might be mindful of is that if they land, and this was I was really lucky. I was landing a role that I could grow, mm-hmm. but growing a role usually means that you're not necessarily glow growing the formal responsibility and the salary to go with it. Mm-hmm. So what I was really responsible for and the work I was doing was not at all matched with what people a couple of levels away in the organization thought I was supposed to be doing mm-hmm. uh, and who didn't know what I was doing. And definitely my salary was, you know, half of what it should have been. Mm-hmm. So, um, and and that was because I didn't really care about salary for a lot of years. It was more about, you know, I love the work and, you know, I just thought that, well, we only have 2%. So, you know, we can't really mm-hmm. do anything and, and didn't really realize that, you know, that the, the leaps that I had taken in what I was able to do from when I started in the position to when I was finishing it was not anything that could be matched by a, a you know, a normal uh, a yearly um, right. salary. Yeah. Um, comp, raise, whatever. Yeah. With uh, the currently active job market and the sustained bubble, hopefully that will be less of a problem for people as there's <clears throat> a, lot of, a lot of sustained recruiting uh, going on. But that said, you know, a lot of app people think networking is just APIs and magic and, you know, no one needs to know all the underneath. So, you know, it's, uh, it is networking type companies uh, who are there. Um, And definitely finding ways to get involved in communities is a good way to build those networks where you can, you know, find out what the interesting opportunities are and and make sure that, you know, you stay, stay connected there. So I also got, wasn't intentional, got lucky falling into Nanog and networking communities. Um, and, uh, you know, uh, but not everybody, um, not everybody is as social that way. So, um, you know, with virtual, it'd be interesting to see how we, in the aftertimes, um, you know, uh, you know, evolve it's, that and try to be I thoughtful know. about how do we take that tribal knowledge and, you know, help people get yeah. into it because it's tough. It's tough. It's a, it's, it's been a tough couple of years. Um, and I, I'm saying couple of years. It's it's almost. It's, I think it's going to be two years at least before oh, yeah. you know. Yeah. Uh, like most of my conferences this fall has you know turned virtual already. So mm-hmm. it's um it's uh it's it, there's there's going to be a gap, and also the new people who have joined the community mm-hmm. in these two years. I mean, we don't know them. We haven't met them. Mm-hmm. Um, funny thing is that at Ripe, uh, you know, some of the feedback from the virtual, uh, the virtual conference is that there are, there are some people who are more comfortable with 
hmm. with that format. So they feel more included than they would when they go to a physical conference. I'd love to, you can send me a link after about, we could talk after about that. I'm curious. I'm curious yeah. about that because the, the uh, lobby track <clears throat> or the, you know, the bar track of where people actually say, oh yes, this vendor, this bug, that person, you know, the stuff that you're not going to say. Yeah. Yeah. And I go to the things at Ananog if I want to ask questions, but generally don't sit there clickety clickety, both because of meetings with customers, but also just because I run into people and, you know, you know, a lot of people, Um, I'm sure, you know, 400 people, you know, that you could run into and talk to. Uh, So, uh, yeah, and you know, thanks for uh, calling out some of the stories. Um, you know, I think it's important that we all remember that even when we see um, the grand old women and grand old men of of networking, that if someone is sitting next to you to look for signs they want to engage and you know try to be welcoming. Uh, yeah. One of my great experiences was um, I was at Nanog and. Somewhere I have the Cheswick and Bellovin book, which was the first book on firewalls. And so Steve Bellovin was standing there and he was talking to someone about something and I was just sort of standing there. And then he just turned and engaged with me. He's like, you know, my son thinks that I should be a better nerd and play poker like you do. It's like, oh, he knows who I am. <laughs> and, you know, we had a conversation and, you know, I wasn't going to bother him because he's like a great a great person of networking and, and all that. Yeah. And so it's moments like that where you, you know, can meet people. And so that's been a lesson for me. Someone said, you know, Avi, when you're talking with people, sometimes, you know, someone comes over and you sort of look and then people move and make space. Like, how do you make sure that if you see people wanting to, you know, engage and get in, that we can do that. And maybe that is easier online. So yeah, I'm curious if there's, ways we can build that because I've there are people that say the the clue on the internet is constant like don't teach people because uh you know they'll they'll screw things up. I've never you know believed no. that uh and we'll no. die out if we don't you know get people in. Everybody and, who's curious about how shit works, we should be told, you know, it's yeah. uh, it's yeah. uh, you have to feed the curious. You can't make people who are not curious about it curious yeah. about it. Yeah. You know, so so feed those who are. That's a yeah. That's a good way of that's a good way of putting it. And I think we can learn from the peering and interconnection world, which, if you go to GPF, is more diverse than the as you said. You know, sort of the nanog. If you go into the people talking about you know MPLS iterations and and not to pick on any specific topics, but the more you're talking about you know vendors and routing protocols and stuff like that, it, it does get you know less. Yeah. Uh, Exactly. Less diverse. So um, awesome. Well, thank you for being so open and sharing. And thank you thank for you being for a guest on, uh, on Network AF. And look forward to uh, seeing some of that ripe data. And um, uh, perhaps we'll talk again for an update in a few years. Awesome. I'd love to. Thank you.